That's what happens after service today. So if you want to participate in that, not only will we be setting up chairs, but we'll also be tying those names on. And I want to encourage you something. As you do that, think about that person. You may not even know who it is, but I want you to think about the person that you're tying onto that flag because the reason we remember 9-11 is we remember the sacrifice that somebody made. The reason we remember communion, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And you know, I look back in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but principally in the Old Testament, God would, after a major event, God would always do something and he would set it up as a holy day. We call them holidays. And those holy days were times when the nation of Israel would reflect on something that God had done. When they crossed the Red Sea, they'd, they'd build something up and it would remind them, hey, we crossed this at this time and they would remember that. That monument would help them remember. The Passover, when the Passover angel passed over the children of Israel and didn't kill the firstborn and they'd put the blood over the doorpost, they would celebrate Passover to remember what God had done. It wasn't a coincidence that we celebrate communion on the night of Passover. That that's when Jesus became that sacrifice for us, when he started that process for us. And we remember during communion the price that was paid. And so it is with us as Americans tonight, as American Christians, that we remember tonight the sacrifice that those have made that have gone before us. You know, freedom isn't free. It costs somebody. It costs somebody. And I want to tell you, it helps us in our lives so many times if we'll look back and we'll remember the cost that someone paid. You know, one of the reasons I honor those that helped build this church is I was able to inherit a church that was, the building was paid for and the grounds were paid for. But somebody had to do a lot of sacrificing for that to happen. And I recognize that. There are those in our congregation that were here from the beginning when they were across the road in the little bitty church. And they gave and they sacrificed and they made a way for us to be here and enjoy this. This didn't just happen. You know, uh, growing up, I, I was one of those kids that their mom spoiled. Anybody in here? Or am I the only one? Come on now. Help her brother out. <laughs> people are pointing at other people. Come on now. <laughs> pointing at other people. The reality is, thank you, Ben. I appreciate your honesty. You know, but I, I was. I was one of those guys, you know. I had this magical closet at home. And here's what happened in my magical closet. I could take dirty clothes and put them in there. And magically, they would be clean and back in my drawers. It was amazing how that happened. But here, this weird thing happened to me when I went to college. My magical closet was broken. <laughs> and I'll never forget, and I'm glad Trisha isn't here right now. Trisha isn't feeling well this morning. Please be praying for her. I, had, I was an RA. I was a resident assistant in college, which means I had a wing of about 60 guys that I was responsible for. But one of the benefits of being an RA is I got my own room. And so I had double closets in my room. Those double closets were clothes hampers. Okay? But apparently what happens after a while, if you get enough clothes in there, the doors will not shut. It was... Amazing how that wouldn't work. But I remember having to learn how to wash clothes and all that other stuff. And, and, and if you wash them in red and hot, they shrink, right? So I, I, I do remember those times. But what I, what I realized is that my mom had paid a price for me to be able to have clean clothes. She was the one behind the scenes that was sacrificing for me. So I really get it, y'all. And so tonight when we come together, we're going to honor these people, some that have served, some that have given their lives for our country, and then also, we, we remember our first responders, those that put their lives on the line every day. 
It amazes me when I think of the volunteers that, that step out and go for us. I, I was watching, uh, Miles and Trish and I were watching last night a show about our soldiers. And it was, you know, we still have an all-volunteer army. So those people that are over fighting for us all volunteered to be there. And we have to understand, and I remember this when I, when I was sworn into the army, that I was willing to give my life, if that's what it took, to protect our freedoms. And so there are young women and men and, and older women and men today that do that. They volunteer to go out there. And I think of our firefighters, I mean, our volunteer firefighters. They go out and risk their lives for our neighbors and, and our police officers that step out there every day. We cannot forget these people. And next time they pull you over to give you a ticket, thank them. <laughs> now here's the challenge you're going to have, though. If it's not Steve, you didn't buy his vest. So, you know, that's not going to work. You know, but you know, we should do that. We should do those kind of things. And I want to encourage you in something, something I try to do when I remember it. If you're in a restaurant and you see an officer in there, buy their meal for them. Do stuff like that. You know, it's not like they're in this for the money. It's kind of like being a teacher. How many teachers are in here for the money? <laughs> they do it because they're called. And we need to honor those that are called to that position. Amen. Amen. Well, let's uh, get our Bibles up if you've got them this morning. Raise them up in the air. Say after me. Say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's Word. It's His truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, you guys sound great this morning. Our scripture reference this morning is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and it says this. And now these, th these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I'm taking a break today from our fan or follower series because I felt like we needed to honor today in our service this morning as well as tonight. But we needed to honor this morning the memory of 9-11. But I also wanted to apply some scripture references to it about some dates scripturally that matched up to 9-11 that changed the world. You know, why do we remember? God purposely, as I mentioned earlier, has set aside times, holy days, holidays, where we remember different events in our life. And, and I'd like to ask you a question. How many of you remember where you were the day the Twin Towers were stuck, struck? Don't you remember? I'll tell you where I was. I, I had a, at that time, Miles was in kindergarten, and I had just dropped him off to church school, and I was heading back to the house, and I had pulled into the Exxon gas station. I even remember the pump I was at. The Exxon gas station in Coppell, Texas, had filled up my car with gas, and had walked inside, and when I walked inside, there was a crowd of people. You know how they have the little TV monitors in the gas stations? And it, there were about four or five of us, and everyone was looking at this TV monitor. And the first plane had already struck the tower at that point. And I had just gotten my pilot's license, and so we were talking about the airplane, and I was looking at the building, and I thought, that couldn't have been a small airplane that hit that, but that's the only thing that would make sense to me. Maybe something happened to the pilot or something like that. And as we sat there and talked, I began to realize that some, I knew something wasn't right. So I rushed home, turned on the TV, called Trish in, we had some guys redoing the floor of our house that day. 
And I called everybody into the living room, and we all sat there and watched the second plane hit the building. And it was at that moment that I knew the world had changed. I knew the world had changed at that point for us. What was interesting also in that time is we lived in Flower Mound, Texas, and Flower Mound is just the first community north of DFW Airport. So all the planes flew in and out of our, over our house. They were actually, when you taxi into Dallas-Fort Worth Airport or when you're in the flying pattern, Fort Worth-Dallas Airport, you flew over our house many times. So we were used to airplanes constantly. And I'll never forget when the planes went silent. Never forget that. And our world began to change. You know, many of you remember JFK when John F. Kennedy was shot that day. How many of you remember that event? You remember where you were? You remember what was going on. Many of you remember when the space uh, shuttle Challenger blew up. I remember. I was a freshman in college. I remember pulling over to the side of the road as the news reporter reported that. It's interesting to me that when we know where we were on that day, we also have to recognize that it's in major life crisis things that mark us. Things mark us when we're in those periods of time. And they're, they're meant to be there forever. They're meant to be there to remind us of what happened on that day. I want to talk to you for a second, though, about a major biblical event. It's another day, and it's back. This is after Jesus had been crucified, had rose again. And it's a, a story about a man named Stephen. Now, Stephen was a great guy. Stephen was an awesome, awesome guy. Now, he wasn't one of the disciples, but he was right up there underneath those guys. And if you open your Bibles up to Acts, and I put it wrong on your notes, it's actually Acts chapter 6, verse 15. And I'm going to read a little more than what's in your notes, but it'll be up on the screen here. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they were gnashing their teeth. And the reason they were furious at Stephen is that he was telling them the truth about their religious experience, that they weren't committed to Christ, that they had been ignoring Jesus, that they had crucified the Son of God, that that they were ignoring the fact that the Messiah had come. And religious people tend to not like it when you point out their faults. And so these guys began to... They were so furious, they gnashed their teeth. Have you ever been around somebody that was so mad they were gnashing their teeth? That is not pretty. And these guys were so furious, they gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, the religious folks covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed Stephen. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, all the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, and he cried out, Lord Do not hold this sin against them. Who does that sound like? And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing of him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. 
I want you to imagine, put yourself in this position for a minute. Now, here's why they were upset at Stephen. They were upset at Stephen for the same reason they were upset at Jesus. See, most of the religious folks, Pharisees, Sadducees, all the religious leaders felt like, well, we killed Jesus. Well, then he rose again, so that didn't work out so well. And then they began to threaten the disciples and different things. But here's the problem with the move of God. You can't stop it. And these guys were going around and laying hands on people and praying for people and people were getting saved and the church was growing, the community was changing and the religious folks didn't like it. And so they drugged Stephen in there in front of them and started to accuse him and all the different things that they did. But think of what they were accusing him for. Spreading the gospel, healing people. He was laying hands on people. People were getting saved and healed and they were mad at Stephen. Sometimes when you do the right thing, you may get persecuted for it. And, and you notice Stephen, Stephen didn't attack them. He told them the truth and love. He didn't attack them. And the reason this day was so significant, y'all, there were a couple of reasons. But the reason this day was so significant is that Stephen was the first person killed as a martyr. Stephen was the first martyr. And the church was growing, but when this day happened, just like for us at 9-11, when this day happened, everything changed for the church. The, the Bible tells us that everyone began to scatter because all of a sudden the church was getting persecuted. It was like they killed Stephen and everybody else was fair game. And so the church was persecuted. But you know what I've learned about God? Think of this. When the church was persecuted, what happened to all the Christians that were in town? Where did they go? They left, didn't they, right? And what did they take with them? The message of Jesus. And so what the devil meant for evil, again, to try to destroy the church, all that it did was spread the gospel to all the outlying communities. Now all these people who are being threatened go out to all these different communities, and now they're sharing the gospel out there. So it didn't work again. It's kind of like when they killed Jesus. Look what we did. We killed Jesus. That didn't work out either, did it? Because you can't stop the gospel. You can't stop the good news. Why? Because it's good news. And it's the power of God unto salvation. One of the other things that I love about this section of Scripture is the Bible tells us that Peter's faith, face shone like an angel. He actually, the presence of God was resting on him, and his face shone like an angel. And I want you to imagine that. They're yelling and hollering at him, and the presence of God is on his life, and he is just shining like the sun. Another major event happened that day. As Stephen was being stoned, all the people that were there came by, and the way they would commit to when they were doing something like that is they took their coats off and they laid it at the leader that was there that day. And that leader was Saul. And Saul had been persecuting the church. And he was approving. In other words, the church was approving of what was going on. And Saul was the leader that was there that day. 1 Peter 4 verse 14 says this. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You know, sometimes when we go through situations and challenges in life, the time that we'll see the power of God the most in our lives is when we're going through those hard times. Isn't that true? You know, we, we understand in, in literature and in, in leadership studies that character is not made during hard times, but it's revealed 
during hard times. And when we go through challenges and tough situations in our life, we're squeezed. And when we're squeezed, whatever's in there comes out. Whoever you really are is revealed during that period of time. And so we see as the pressures of life come down on Stephen, what we see is the presence and the Spirit of God that's on him and in him. But the same thing can happen for you in your life. Isn't the Spirit of God the same? As a believer, don't you have the same power that Stephen did? Absolutely. You know, I was told of a young girl that came home from school after the Twin Towers were hit. And her dad said to her, from today forward, will we, be, we will be looking at a different America. And that is really true, isn't it? I mean, you can know that every time you go to the airport. How many of you have been to the airport since 9-11? How fun is that? You know what I'm talking about? How fun is that? i got to tell you a funny story. It's not in my notes. <laughs> my dad and my uncle loved to hunt. And about, I guess it was four or five years ago, they went up to Canada hunting. They were going caribou hunting. And my uncle's crazy. He's my dad's older brother, and he's, he's crazy. And so anyway, they're up hunting. Well, the day, they were get, get, or the day before they were to come back, there was another guy at camp that wanted to borrow my uncle's deer rifle. And so my uncle let him borrow it. And so the guy took it out and, and whatever, and they came back and loaded everything up. Well, when you transport firearms after 9-11, who knows they watch you pretty carefully, Right? And so they're in Canada coming back, and they're getting ready to load up, and they're running the guns through the x-ray detector machine. And, and they get to my uncle's gun in the case, and they keep backing it up and going forward, backing it up and going forward. And my dad's standing there, and he's like, what's wrong? The next thing you know, a SWAT team shows up. And these are Canadian SWAT guys. They probably don't have a lot to do, so they're very excited, Okay. <laughs> And so this, this Canadian SWAT team shows up, my dad tells me, with big black machine guns. And they're pointing them at them. Now where I'm from, if you point a gun at somebody, that's pretty serious, amen? And so they're sitting there pointing these machine guns at these guys, and my uncle's looking at me, he said, what's the problem, what's the problem? They said, there's a shell in your rifle. Now, it wasn't in the chamber, it was in the magazine. The guy he had let borrow it had not unloaded the gun, but it was my uncle's fault because everybody knows, what do you do, guys? You check your gun, right? Or the Canadian people shoot you. That's the rule, okay? So they're in there checking this gun. Well, here's what happened. I mean, they were going to arrest him. Well, my uncle starts getting upset, and he starts telling them what he thinks they should do. And my dad... <laughs> You guys have met my dad. My dad's going, shut up, Wayne. Shut up, Wayne. Shut up, Wayne. Well, finally, a Canadian Mountie shows up. How cool is that, right? But apparently they didn't have the red suit on because I asked. Because I was thinking that's what they do, right? And then he didn't have a red suit on. And the Canadian Mountie shows up and he says, hey, you guys, stop being hosers or whatever he said to him. And he said, these guys aren't trying to terrorists. They're rednecks, you know? And so they... They let my uncle unload the gun, and, and off they went. <laughs> now, before 9-11, you probably had a shell in the chamber, and they wouldn't care, you know? I mean, but everything changed after that date, didn't it? <laughs> and, and I think you have to look back and take that same feeling, the same thing that happened to us. Now, take it back to Jerusalem. Stephen's martyred. Everything's changed for the believers in the community. You have to realize when it said they were thrust for their homes, that means that a lot of them never came back. It was like the Holocaust for them. They were persecuted. And so many of them had left the homes that they'd had for generations. And they were thrust out for their faith. 
So this is a huge moment in the life of the church. So I have a question for you, number two on your notes. How do you respond? How do you respond when a situation like 9-11 happens in your life, when everything changes for you? How do you respond when you're persecuted for your faith? How do you respond when, when your marriage falls apart? How do you respond when you get the bad doctor's report? How do you respond when things don't go the way you feel like they should or the plans that you had? What does your face look like? You know, here we look at Stephen, and, and man, what, a, what an amazing guy he must have been. And, and they're coming after him, and they're accusing him because of his faith, and he's not doing anything wrong. And, and here they are accusing him of his faith, and instead of trying to, to get out of it, he's still trying to love them and point them towards Christ. And yet here he is, his face is shining like an angel because the glory of God is on him. There's a place, y'all. There's a place in God. There's a place in your faith where your faith can be so high above your circumstances. There is a place. There's a place that no matter what comes against you, your faith can be bigger than that situation. But let me tell you something. It is hard to get that faith at the time that it happens. It needs to be in there. It needs to be in there. You know, I said this the other day, but it bears repeating. Is the best time to exercise and work out and, and all those things, you know, the best time to get, get ready for somebody invading your house when they're climbing in through the window? Is it? When's the best time to prepare for that? Before it happens. You know, I mean, I can just imagine, you know, I, I'm kind of weird, so I think of these things. You know, the robbers climbing through the window, and you're like, oh, wait. You know, doing some push-ups. Here I go, and a one, and a, oh, you know. No, this is not a good time to do this. Okay? You need, to, you need to be prepared before the situation happens. Well, it's no different than the Word of God. If you want to be prepared for the circumstances and the situations that happen in your life, you need to be getting in the Word of God now. Because when pressure comes, that's what's going to come out if it's in there. But woe be to any of us when pressure comes and we don't have anything to reach in and grab. How many of you the day of 9-11 began to pray? Oh, God, what's going on? Oh, God, what's happening to our country? What do we do? We're in new territory now. I remember the emotions that I felt that day. My first motion, I don't think I was ever terrified. My first emotion was sadness because I realized what was going on in those towers. And then what went on in the Pentagon. And then, of course, later we found out about the, the folks on the airplane that, that took the plane down. And then anger started to rise up in me. And I think it was a righteous anger. And it began to rise up against me, and I thought, all of those innocent people. And then the rescuers that went in there to get them. I mean, isn't it amazing to you that there are people that run into burning buildings? I know from experience you should run out. <laughs> you know? <laughs> when the field's on fire, call Ronnie. That's what I do, okay? I mean, you, you've got to. And yet, these people are the ones that run in. And I just remember being so angry. And I thought it was so, so unfair. But let me tell you something, folks. 
People need to see as Christians how we respond in times of crisis. And I think of the time after 9-11, how our churches were packed because everybody was looking for answers and they were looking for hope and they were looking for truth. And churches were full all across our country because in times of crisis, we reach for God. But I'm talking now about you personally. How do you respond in times of crisis? Do you draw near to God or do you draw away from Him? You know, the Bible tells us that we aren't going to understand everything here on earth until the day we get to heaven. So my third question to you is this. The question then isn't why is this happening because how many of us, I remember thinking, why is this happening? Why are these people attacking us? And that's really not the question. The question is, how do I respond when situations like this happen? What do I do when crisis happens? How do I respond? That's really what matters. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Here's the deal. I don't understand why bad things happen sometimes. I don't understand. But the Bible tells us, Paul's sitting here telling us, in this scripture, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he's telling us, look, you may not understand why things happen the way they do right now. And we try to figure it out, because, and I'm that way. I'm a fixer. I want to fix stuff. But to fix stuff, I have to understand why it's broken. And so many of us spend so much time trying to figure out why we have the problems we do instead of realizing that in life, Jesus said, in the world you might have tribulation, you will have tribulation. There are going to be 9-11s. There are going to be 9-11s. Now, I'll tell you this. There will be less 9-11s in your life if you live by what the Word says. But there's still going to be some. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do I respond when those situations happen? And one of the things we have to do, we question God. Why did this happen, God? Why is this going on? I don't understand. And you come ask me, and I say, I don't know. But here's what I do know. Right now, we only see a dim reflection. Right now, we're not going to understand why things happen the way they do all the time. But what we do know is one day we will know. The Bible tells us that one day we will see face-to-face Right now we know in part, but then we shall know fully. One of these days we'll understand, and it'll all make sense. Has anything ever happened to you, and later down down the road you realized it was a good thing that it happened? Any crisis ever happened, and you realize, wow, if that hadn't happened to me back here, then I wouldn't be in this situation here. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me a lot of times. Trisha and I were talking about this the other day. And I was thinking, in high school, you remember I told you my football story the other day, if I hadn't hurt my knee, I would have gone in the Marine Corps, and there's no telling what had happened. But I went into the Army at North Texas, and it was during that period of time, right after that, that I went and worked at the church where I grew up in, and then I met Tricia, and then all that started to happen. But if that hadn't happened to my leg, what was a cataclysmic thing to me at that time, I would have never ended up on the path that God had me on. So when the Bible says that all things work together for our good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose, he means it. 
So when you look at the situations that you're facing right now, no matter how bad it is, you have to realize, look, if I'm a child of God, his word says that all this is going to work out for my good. So that means I just have to trust him. And that doesn't mean it's going to work out for your good today. It may mean that six months down the road you understand. And the Bible tells us here we may never understand why some things happen. You know, sometimes it's, it's hard when we lose loved ones and we wonder why certain things have happened or why one died before their time or why whatever the situation was. You know what we don't know is what would have happened. Maybe God was saving them from something else that would have been worse than the situation they dealt with. We don't know. And we can think about these things a lot. But what matters is that in those times of crisis, we run to the cross. And we say, God, I don't understand, but I know that you understand. We must trust God even when we don't fully understand. Even when we don't get it. Even when we don't understand why terrorists would fly a plane into a building. Boom. I don't understand that. I don't get it. Somebody, something's wrong when people do that. And so to try to figure out why somebody thinks a certain way is not going to work. But we have to trust God when situations happen. We have to run to the cross. We must look at things from a spiritual perspective. We must understand that God's at work. And you know, the the Apostle Paul may not have been here for 9-11. He wasn't around for JFK. He wasn't here to see the Challenger blow up. But there were events in the Apostle Paul's life that he will never forget. Because see, the Apostle Paul was Saul before Jesus changed his name. Saul, you remember the story of Stephen? That there was a young man, the scripture tells us there was a young man named Saul. That people were coming and laying their coats at his feet. He was the religious leader that was approving Stephen being killed. You know who Saul was? Saul was Paul. And so that was a 9-11 moment for Paul because he's sitting there condoning the murder of Stephen, the first martyr, approving it. He could have stopped it. He was approving the murder of Stephen. And it, don't think it didn't mark him. And I'll tell you what probably stuck in Saul's mind, in Paul's mind, was why did his face look like an angel? Why was this guy not fighting us? Why was this guy at peace when we're about to stone him? He's not crying out. The only cry he makes is that God forgive them for what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And that had to have stuck with him. But it also makes sense that later on in the scripture, when Paul says he understood what it was like to be the chief of sinners. Because not only had he sinned in his life, he had killed Christians. And the very faith that he was now the champion of, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And yet he's the guy that was persecuting the church. Doesn't that just show you the mercy of God, though, too? Doesn't it show you the mercy of God? Does that mean that God can even change the heart of a terrorist? Yeah. That's what that means. No more, I love Jesus now. You know, I mean, you could do that. That's a joke, right? (laughs) But he can change the heart of a terrorist. He changed my heart. Did he change your heart? He loves us all. And when these situations happen, we have to look from a spiritual perspective and recognize that God is at work behind the scenes, 
even when we don't understand. But you know, Paul could not change what he'd done in his past. And I want you to understand something today. You cannot change your past. You cannot change five minutes ago. I cannot change the fact that I went, okay? That already happened. There, I did it again. Well, we can't change that, can we? So we have to confess our sin and move on and recognize that the past is behind us. But most of us, many of us, had challenges leaving the past behind us. We carry it with us, and it messes our life up. And we have to recognize that we have to let it go. You know what's interesting to me? The Bible tells us that God takes away our sin, even the memory of our sin, and he casts it away into the sea of forgetfulness. He casts it away as far as the east is from the west, and they never meet. So you can be talking to God about your sin, and he doesn't even know what you're talking about. Isn't that awesome? He casts it away, and he remembers it. The Scripture says, remembers it no more. So if he can do that, why can't we learn to do that? Why can't we learn to do that? And don't let your past define you. You know, many times when I'm praying for people that will rise up in my spirit, tell them their past doesn't define them, Chris. Guys, your past doesn't define you. What defines you is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The same spirit of God that resided on Stephen and in Stephen resides in you. And it's the good news. And the good news of the gospel is this. What you've done doesn't count against you anymore if Jesus is your Savior. It's gone. That's good news. That's good news to me. I know some of y'all are perfect, but I'm not. Obviously. But that's the good news. You're not defined by what you did last week. You have a new start. You have a new chance. We have to confess and move on. We must have faith that God's purpose for us is bigger than we can understand, than we can comprehend. You have to look, and when we get into these situations in life, we have to recognize that we must have faith that God's purpose for us is bigger than we can comprehend. The reason I use 1 Corinthians 10, 13 today is this. The Apostle Paul, the same guy that oversaw the murder of Stephen, says this. And now these three things remain. These are the big three. These are the three things that remain. These are the pillars that remain. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. At the, at the end of the day, these are the things you can stand on. These are the things that you can depend on. Faith, hope, and love. And then he says, but the greatest of these is what? Love. The greatest of these is love. I want you to imagine for a second Stephen looking up into heaven. Where was his faith? He looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There was his faith. His hope, his hope was if something happens to me, that's where I'm going to be. And then the love reached out of him that said, Father, don't, don't hold this against them. Stephen lived that. Now, don't you think just maybe, just maybe when Paul was writing that 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that that was the thing he might have thought about? Faith, hope, and love. And he saw it in action. Not only from Jesus on the road to Damascus, but he saw it. He saw it in Stephen's life. I want to tell you a story. This is a true story. It's about a hymn that was written by a guy named Horace Spafford. Everybody say Horace. Spafford. 
Bless his heart, right? <laughs> Horace Spafford. What a name. Well, Horace wrote one of the most famous hymns that we sing. And I'm, but I want to tell you his story about this hymn. This hymn was written after several traumatic events happened in Horace Spafford's life. The first was the death of his only son in 1871 at the age of four. Shortly after the death of his son, the great Chicago fire broke out in Chicago, and it ruined him financially. He was an attorney. He was a very successful attorney. Then, this is 1871, in 1873, he had planned to travel to Europe with his family, his wife and their four daughters, but business plans kept him in Chicago, and so he sent his wife and his four daughters on ahead. While they were crossing the Atlantic, the ship struck another ship, and it sunk. All four of Spafford's daughters drowned. He's lost his son and his four daughters. When his wife arrived over in Europe, she sent him a telegram that's now famous, and it says, Saved Alone. Shortly afterwards, as Spafford traveled to meet with his grieving wife, he was inspired to write these words. As his ship neared where his daughters had died. You can sing along with me if you like. It's on page 112. But I want you to read the words. And understand, this isn't just a nice hymn that this guy wrote. When he was squeezed, when unbelievable pressure came to his life, this is what he wrote. When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll Whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say It is well Christ has regarded 
so many of us need to know when the trials came when the pressure was there when there was every reason in the world for him to give up to curse God to walk away what was down in there what was down in there it is well with my soul father I thank you today for your word and I thank you that your word works And Lord, I thank you that you know each one of us by name, that you have a plan for each of our lives. Lord, I know that there are here today those that are struggling. There's some here today that don't have a relationship with you, and they feel called to you today. And Lord, I pray that you administer to them. And if that's you, every, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you realize you don't have a relationship with Christ, it is not well with your soul. And you need to make that commitment to Jesus. If that's you, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Or if you're here today and you're a Christian, but you've walked away, you haven't been living for God, you've been doing your own thing and it's not working out for you. 
and life is dragging you around and for you also it's not well with your soul that you just slip your hand up say today I want to rededicate my heart today today or if you're here today and you're struggling there's a trial going on in your life you're having challenges right now there there are things going on in your life you just need somebody to pray with you and agree with you to stand in the gap there are already those up here but if that's you and you say man pastor today I need that I need somebody to stand with me I need somebody to pray with me then you just come forward the prayer partners are here you're not alone you're not alone you know, that's the thing about a church family, a real church family. When you go through trials, we're there for each other. We don't expect you to be perfect because we're not. And God is real and he loves you. And he knows what you've done and he knows what you're dealing with. And he can make it okay. And he can take your past and he can throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. And it doesn't have to be there anymore. Just come forward and we'll pray with you. Amen. Sing verse 3. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. told us in the world we were going to have tribulation but you said but be of good cheer because you've overcome the world Lord you also told us that you have a plan for our lives Lord you've come that we might have life and future and a hope in Psalm 139 Lord Jesus you told us that you've come that we might have life and have life abundantly which means overflowing into the full so, Lord, for each of us that are represented here today, I pray that you would touch our lives. Lord, you know each need that we have and each struggle that we have. 
Lord, there are those that are here today that they're dedicated to you. Their hearts are yours. But, Lord, they're not moving in what you've called them to do. Lord, I pray that you would touch them and give them peace. Lord, make their path clear. Guide their steps. In Jesus' name. And, Father, we pray for all those that are up here today praying, those that are struggling. Lord, that you would meet them at the point of their need, every need. Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just stay in the Lord's presence for a minute, folks. sing that chorus again together. And it is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my church. Thank you, Father. There are those here still praying, and I want to respect that, but I want to dismiss you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for each life represented here, each family represented here. Lord, most of all, I want to thank you that you're real, that we don't have a God that can't understand what we're going through. We don't have a God that, that doesn't understand the pain that we experience. But you've experienced it all, Jesus. And through it all, you've been there for us. And you're with us. And I pray, Father, right now that your comfort and your peace would move out to each person here. Lord, I pray not only that, but you would allow them to be your hands and feet in our community. That you would use them to comfort others. And Father, we thank you for that honor. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen, Amen. amen. As you're dismissed.